0: Welcome to Knowledgeable Aging. I'm your host, Jason Kotar. Joining us today to talk about the magic of artificial intelligence, how modern technology can improve the lives of caregivers and their families is Niger Mold. Nigel is currently the CEO of Stack Labs with a unique take on spatial awareness, artificial intelligence, machine learning, and data science, enabling seniors to continue living independently in their own homes while providing peace of mind for family members. The presented content does not provide or constitute medical, financial, or legal advice. The content is for information purposes only. Viewing or listening to the content does not constitute a physician-patient, dentist-patient, fiduciary-client, or attorney-client relationship. How are you doing today, Nigel? I'm good, thank you. Hi, Jason. Welcome, welcome. So I'm looking forward to our conversation. Before we get started, Nigel, for those that are joining us for the live webinar, if you could please type your questions in. Time permitting, we'll do everything in our power to get your questions answered. So, Nigel, I'm going to turn it over to you, the magic of artificial intelligence, how modern technology can improve the lives of caregivers and their families.
1: Thank you very much, Jason. Uh, Happy to be here, and uh, good morning or good afternoon to to all of you. Um, I'm based out on the uh, East Coast. Um, but uh, we previously had our offices out in Silicon Valley, and so I, I recognize that we have people from both sides of the country and, and uh, in between here. So um, just a, a quick word on, on myself. Um, yes, I was originally born in England, that you can probably hear from my accent, but uh, I left there back in 1986, um, and I've traveled and worked in a number of different countries um, before ending up here in the U.S. about 10 years ago. Um, one of the, uh, and, and I'm going to let you read some of my experience on here if you're that interested in it. But one of the things that uh, I, I picked up on a number of years back was looking at new technology and how it could help us um, and help us in the future in terms of the way we live our lives and what we're doing with it. Um, but out of that, there was also a personal experience element that um, I was dealing with aging parents um, and my father particularly was, was slightly older than my mother, not an unusual situation. But in dealing with his own issues of progressive uh dementia and Alzheimer's coming into that mix, and recognizing how difficult that was and the stress that was on my mother taking care of him at the same time as she was aging herself. So that whole kind of cognitive decline process was something that I was really thinking about. What could we do? Um, And uh, that combined with some other folks that I was working with led us to look at Um, data science and artificial intelligence and say how do we help people in that that kind of situation so let's just start off with artificial intelligence It, it you know it's a little scary we we watch the tv we see movies and we think about robots and the stuff of science fiction movies but that's really not what artificial intelligence is all about and the phrase artificial intelligence has been around for about 70 years and was originally described as any task performed by a machine that would have been considered previously to require human intelligence. Well, machines do a lot of things for us and it's not always intelligent work. But fast forward to today, and the definitions are a lot more refined than they used to be. Francois Cholet, who is the AI researcher at Google and, and creator of machine learning software library Keras, Um, was quoted as saying, intelligence is tied to a system's ability to adapt and improvise in a new environment. That sounds pretty technical, and, and we have to think about that. But it is really about generalizing knowledge and how we apply it to unfamiliar scenarios. What I want to do is break that down into something simpler, something we can understand, and something we can recognize how we can use it for seniors aging in place, and caregivers and their families. So I'm going to argue here today that intelligence, in this case, is actually about predictability. What do we know? What do we see? How do we assess the situation? And what do we do with that? So predictability, if you want to call it, want to look at it that way, is all about data. It's about the facts. What happened? What are the data points? but then we're also interested in context. What was happening around there at the time? Where was it? How was it? You think about how we assess a situation um, and we start to look at, okay, this is the data, this is the event, this is what happened, and this is where it happened. So we're getting a lot of predictability in there, certainly a lot of understanding, but to really complete the picture, we need to understand what happened in this environment before. So we're adding in history. And if you think about any problem that we're dealing with, you think about events, that's your data. You think about context, where did it happen? And then you think about history. So what happened before? And that allows you to predict what, if anything is wrong, or what is going to happen next. And that's where intelligence comes in. But if we add in some artificial speed, through essentially computing power that we have today, then we can come up with an idea of artificial intelligence. Artificial is simply the speed at which we are doing these things and predictability being the intelligence. And if we look at it like that and start saying, well, it becomes a lot simpler and easier to understand rather than a science fiction robot. But just thinking about data context history, predictability, and we're starting to break it down to something we might be able to work with. So let's have a look at how you might apply this in how we care for seniors. Well, one of the big things I'm I'm sure a lot of you have read about um, and that we should start off reminding ourselves about is that the silver tsunami, as it's called, is actually real. There's a huge number of baby boomers already retired or heading for the age of 65 but worth noting that by the end of this decade, by 2030, every single baby boomer will have passed retirement age. When you bear in mind in the US alone, that's an estimated 72 million of us will be over 65 by the age of 2030. And with that number of people, we have to start to think about what are the care options open to us and how technology can help us as well and deal with that. So the the care options have changed somewhat in the last few years, but it's still largely the same. Continuing care retirement communities, CCRCs, also known as nursing homes, whether it's independent living, assisted living, memory care, has approximately two million beds across the United States, spread through 16,000 communities. And they do a lot of wonderful things but a key there is the fact that there's only two million beds. Well, if by the end of this decade, there's 70 million of us, 72 million of us past the age of 65, then we're probably going to realize those two million beds aren't going to go very far. No, we're not all going to go into CCRCs, but a number of us will need help as we age. So healthcare at home, Um, is our second option. That's been expanding rapidly in the last few years and and was experiencing a boom year in 2020 with COVID, not a big surprise. Um, And there's about 5 million users there, but one of the big issues there as we age is actually on staff shortages. And the more people I've spoken to in in the last uh, eight, nine, 10 months as we've had COVID, this is a critical factor. Um, I heard earlier this week, um, the unfortunate story of of a home care agency provider um, who up in Massachusetts who actually ended up closing his business, albeit hopefully temporarily, um, simply because he had every single one of his staff out with COVID. uh, And that prevents him from taking care of other people. So even in the current environment, that's an issue but ongoing with the number of us heading for retirement age, staff shortages, the the lack of people actually available to help take care of us is going to be a growing issue. The last option is the one that most of us honestly favor. Uh, 90% of seniors want to age uh, in their existing home. We don't want to move, we don't want to go into a CCRC into a nursing home. But you know, almost two-thirds of adult children have concerns about that choice that most of us are going to want to make. It is also interesting to note that approximately 25 million people today are existing with family support. Um, and it's still a, a, a fairly, um, what should I say? I don't want to say sexist environment, but but you get the point there. Um, two-thirds of those providing support to these 25 million people are the oldest daughter or daughter-in-law, so that's where the burden of support tends to fall. Um, It is changing slowly, um, but this adds an immeasurable amount of family stress, and the average support time is estimated to be about 10 years. It is worth considering that um, statistically, if you spend 10 years taking care, of a senior relative you are estimated to be reducing your own life expectancy by about four years so uh, just worth noting in there that there's a high cost to us physically in terms of doing this so we really need to understand um, what we can do um, in terms of how we support ourselves and how we can best look after and and, uh, our seniors but also, even for those that we're providing care for, whether it's in a, a CCRC environment or a home care uh, agency environment, how do we make those people the most productive, and how do we take care of ourselves? Embrace technology. Use the tools that we have available to us to make it simpler and easier. And we know technology can be a little scary, but you know if we step back, Um, and think about technology as a whole and how pervasive it is and how actually useful it is already to us in our lives, then we realize there's plenty of scope in here. Most of us access the internet daily. We do our banking online. We do our shopping online. In the last 12 months, we've all learned to work online. Uh, We maintain our social networks. We're entertained online. We're online here today. Um, You're all here listening to me talking, hopefully it's interesting, maybe you're learning something. So, the embracing it is already there, but that doesn't discount the fact that many of us still find technology stressful. It's estimated that at least 6 out of 10 people find it stressful, um, and only 4 out of 10 say they aren't stressed out by technology. So we've got to keep it on a simple level and understand where it's going. Keep breaking down things like artificial intelligence saying, what can it actually do for us? How can it work? And I want to try and give you a couple of examples of of technology and the options and how we make it work for us. So there's some things that have been around for a number of years. Personal arms have been around for about 30 years. It's simple technology. A senior falls, they hopefully are wearing their pendant, they press a button and someone help. The problems with this and it is the willingness to use. Um, we know that 80% of seniors, um, in fact the NIH studies show that it was um, uh, 84% of seniors refused to push that help button even when they'd been on the floor and couldn't get up for more than 10 minutes. So there's definitely a reluctance to use the product. Most falls take place at night or early in the morning. And I'll talk about that a little uh, more in a moment when it comes to data science. But we don't like wearing pendants or bracelets and so on in bed. So getting up in the night to go use the bottom, the chance that I actually took my pendant with me are pretty low um and it's only NIH uh, an NIH uh, study uh, suggested that as few as 1 in 7 were actually wearing their pendant every day um, uh, on the uh, on the black humor side um, having been in and out of a number of CCRCs over the last few years talking about technology um and our products um we've heard residents calling they push help pendants calling it death jewelry and things like that. They, it's nice to see that the seniors still have a sense of humor, but recognizing um, the way people view this product. But it is a low-cost option, and it's easily accessible and works very well. Telehealth is a brand-new technology is something that's become a lot more interesting to us um over the last year i've used telehealth probably many of you on this call have it's got a rapidly increasing acceptance Um, the downside of it is that it does rely on the patient being at least somewhat tech savvy enough to deal with it themselves Um, and it's still about responding to issues so it's something that we're going into when we've got a problem and then we need to talk to a doctor Uh, During the COVID times, this was maybe because we couldn't get out to get a doctor's appointment. But in the future, we may be also starting to realize there's a convenience factor involved in here and makes the healthcare a lot more efficient uh, when we're able to deal with it faster and on the spot. So let's bring in a look at passive monitoring and talking about artificial intelligence and where it can help on here. So artificial intelligence goes back, and if you remember, I was talking about data and context and history. Um, and this is where new technology works very well because understanding what our typical behaviors and patterns are and then looking for the anomalies and the untypical events allows us to understand and predict what is happening there. Very simple example on this might be that when we're feeling ill, we tend to spend a lot more time in bed or if we're unwell, we tend to increase our bathroom visits. It happens most of the time. Our body is rejecting that virus or that bug or that bacteria, but it's not something we would necessarily always see otherwise. You don't want to wait until there's emergency before you're actually getting help within there but artificial intelligence or machine learning, data science can actually look at this and note when there are subtle but increasing changes. Um, one of the, the applications that we've seen this working on is things like looking at the number of bathroom visits. Um, and you know the products that we market are not medical at all but are actually able to suggest that there are issues. So if you see an increasing increasing, uh, number of bathroom visits, an increase in the count, there have been numerous examples that we've led to it and then heard back later on, yes, this or that resident was developing a UTI. So early identification of issues before something becomes an emergency, getting that early intervention has made a huge difference. The other thing from a technology perspective is, of course, that we don't like cameras uh, or microphones. Which of us wants a camera in our bedroom or in our bathroom? I don't think many of us, if any. So we want to be passive in that environment, not something we have to interact with. It just needs to be something that works and something that we can trust. So looking at the questions and understanding what are the type of things that artificial intelligence can do for us um, I think breaks down to four key areas uh, in terms of whether it's us as the resident or as a family member or caregiver. I can look at this on things that I was experiencing with my own father which is activity. What are the changes in patterns? How much exercise? Are they getting up and about? Is that a declining situation? Um, I had a sibling, my sister, who, who was visiting uh, my father quite often and she would give me update reports on the phone and tell me yeah he's doing well, he's doing well, not so bad, not so bad. And then I went to see him when I hadn't seen him for several months and I was shocked by the decline. Because typically as humans we don't notice so much those incremental changes but artificial intelligence can look at that and see it. Sleep is a big deal. How much sleep are we getting? What's the quality like? How many bathroom visits? i talked about that just now. Are they daytime or nighttime? Are they changing? And even down to nutrition, is this person going in and out of the kitchen? Are they using the refrigerator? Can I trust that they're doing things and taking care of themselves? An artificial intelligence here can establish a typical and report accordingly. Notice also I use the word typical, not normal. What may be normal for me to get up once or twice in the night um, may not be normal for somebody who's 85 years old and gets up three or four times a night. uh, or, Or somebody else who never gets up during the night. So we talk about typical because artificial intelligence and machine learning can apply to one person at a time and look at their own individual history making it then allowing it to make those intelligent observations in there and if we can make all of this work then the technology itself becomes a lot less stressful we don't have to worry about it so much and we can actually then have it working for us uh, which is what we actually want to achieve and what we want out of it is that technology just works it makes caring simpler easier and most importantly, helps us recognize when problems are developing rather than responding to a crisis. And that's what artificial intelligence and, and machine learning technology can bring to the table here in this. One of the things I'm often asked about is, is, is technology going to replace human care? The answer is an absolute no. Um, human interaction is a significant determinant of health. There is no question of that. Uh, And we've all seen it in the past year. That's why COVID has been so tough on so many people, particularly, but not just, seniors. Interactions with family are incredibly valuable. And that value is often lessened though, when the conversation is all about health and questioning. Um, Had the experience uh, with uh, one of my coworkers um, whose father was, has been not too well recently. And she's been calling every day, every two days, but every conversation is about how are you feeling today? Have you talked to your doctor? How's that medication working out for you? These are not motivating, refreshing, encouraging interactions, but they're natural ones. They're human ones. They're the ones that we uh, feel kind of compelled to ask about out of concern. When technology can help us, those conversations can be more about, hey, what are you up to today? What's this? What's that? I can talk to my mom about her chocolate cake recipe instead of asking how she was sleeping last night. We can improve those relationships by allowing technology to take care of some of the other concerns we may have. So technology doesn't replace care, but allows us a different way to offer care that is hopefully less stressful and more rewarding. So last slide wrapping up, what does the future hold? I think the biggest thing for us is going to be interconnectivity. It's not going to be some wild new inventions coming out in the next two, three, four, five years. But interconnectivity is going to be the biggest factor devices and technology working together. We don't want to be tracked unless we choose it as an additional function. but Many baby boomers, those of us, and I'm gonna be one of them this decade, who are heading for the 65 mark, are already wearing an Apple watch, for example. I have mine on right now. And some of the developments in there are also medical monitoring, heart monitoring. There are certain functions that are already there. There's products on the marketplace uh, that are using the infrared detection on the back of the watch to look at Um, blood colorant and blood sugar levels for helping diabetics as well as heart monitoring. We can now use our watch for key control, whether it's to actually start our car or potentially even to unlock the door. So we're getting more and more used to the idea of wearables, even if we wouldn't put deliberately put on something that's tracking us today. The huge learning from COVID is that we are actually much more prepared to accept telehealth it's convenient, it's on demand. We can add vital sign monitoring. Um, I have in my office here a blood pressure monitor um, and an EKG, uh, and this is not because I need them, just out of interest looking at them, a home blood pressure monitor is about $30, something that's really easy. We've all seen those ads for that little EKG monitor for less than $100, you can go and buy it on Amazon today. Imagine that all these things start to get connected. Um, and then passive monitoring with remote sensors, giving us that early warning, letting us know that there's a development where maybe we need to combine and match up that data then in a world where the artificial intelligence is looking at all of these different sources, is looking at the context, looking at the history and then saying, hey, this would be a good idea for telehealth to step in, take a look, and talk to the doctor. And of course, you know, now, um, 21st century, the medication, of course, will be sent directly to us and arrive via delivery. All along with maybe an artificial intelligence engine reminding you to take it every
0: day. With the rise of modern technology, Nigel, how is the senior's privacy respected?
1: So, very good question. And I think that's where it comes in that we don't like things like cameras and microphones. Although, you know, it, we're very prepared to put a microphone in the form of an Amazon device yeah, into our home. Um And I think a critical thing is just understanding privacy. Anything that's done with passive monitoring should be HIPAA compliant. So anything you're looking at like that Good question to ask, is it HIPAA compliant? Because what that means is your data is protected. Um, without cameras, it should be anonymous. Um, it shouldn't be, uh, you need the appropriate levels of security within there so that it can't be hacked into. Um, and, you know, your telehealth is always gonna be secure, like that, uh, secure devices is making sure you've got appropriate logons ons and validation. But I think the key question for anybody with concerns like that who's looking at any product in the marketplace is straight up that question. Are you HIPAA
0: compliant? And if the answer is yes, you go, okay, then I can trust that it's going to be pretty safe. Okay. So does having a monitoring system make the older adult feel like they're giving up on their independence or they're being controlled and spied on?
1: I think that's always a concern and, and it's a reasonable one. Um, one of the nice things on, on a lot of what's taking place today and, and even a, a stack of what we do, um, our sensors are infrared. That's the same technology that opens the supermarket door for you when you walk up to it. It's simply sensing that there is a person there. It doesn't sense what you're doing in that, uh, like that. It can't see you, per se. Um, so, you know, if you're hanging out in those lime, cream, lime green pajamas uh, in, the, in the middle of the day, nobody cares, it doesn't matter. There's no judgment on it. It's simply looking at motion and the motion patterns. Um, and, you know, through that and by understanding that it can actually see those trends developing before there's a crisis, it enables independence and supports independence rather than taking it away uh, and i think increasingly people are looking at technology from that perspective and saying if i do this it means i can
0: stay aging in place i can age in my own home which is what 90% of us want yeah so you had talked a little bit about stress, Nigel. So modern technology, as we all know, can feel a little intimidating and complicated. But based on your experience, has there been any difficulty in installing and using uh, some of this passive monitoring?
1: Um, no. We, we were, as, as like a number of other companies, we were kind of forced into a situation last year where we had to make our product simple enough that people could install it themselves. And I'll, I'll be absolutely honest, if I sent our stack care product to my mother, uh, she would have a hard time installing it. But at the same time, uh, we've, we've had 82 year olds installing it themselves. So it's a little bit dependent upon how tech savvy we, we are individually. But what you're seeing now with a number of products on the marketplace is that they're easy simple enough to fam- for family to install you don't have to be a programmer or that smart um, you can follow the videos on the app it's step by step it's as close to the old idea of plug and play as you can get um, and uh the the good products and I, I like to think ours is one of them are installed without tools you don't need ladders. You don't need to be climbing on things. There's no drilling holes in the walls or anything like that. Um, but, you know, the the sensors are small and discreet. Um, I I do an installation now. I know what I'm doing. Obviously, I, I don't need to watch all the videos when I'm going through it, but install. I can install our stack care product in in about five minutes um, in somebody's house. Now, you know, somebody dressing it for the first time is going to take. 10 to 15 minutes, um, but if it's taking longer than that, we've probably made it too complicated.
0: Yeah, so sticking with passive monitoring, Nigel, is there an age that older adults start to benefit from having this in their home?
1: Um, I, I, I don't think there's a specific age. The age is, is probably the one where we start saying, I'm worried about mom or dad. Um, or grandma whoever that is uh, or that aging relative um, it, it's you know I uh, I had a, a, a gentleman I knew um, a couple of years back and uh, he'd been very active all his life and and uh, in the military um, retired out and uh, I said to him so w- you know what are you doing these days now you're fully retired and he said I'm visiting my doctor um, and uh, he was joking, but at the same time, as we age, and this happens to some of us when we're in our sixties and others when we're in our eighties. Um, but you start to notice the signs of aging, and I think we see it in our own relatives and family members. You know, I could tell with my father just that he was getting slower, the cognitive decline was starting, he was sleeping during the afternoon but awake at two o'clock in the morning. And that's where the worry starts, um and so it's that kind of point you don't want to leave it until it's all the way through to do we need to get them into a nursing home? Uh, you want to allow them that independence, and so for some people it will start earlier than others, um, but it's really that point at which you start to get a little just that bit concerned. Uh,
0: so, Nigel, can passive monitoring systems can they be hacked? Um,
1: they theoretically yes. Um, the good ones, um, and and there's a few of them out there. Apart from from you know our own one, Stack Care. There's there's um, uh, people like um, CarePredict and Smart Care Home Solutions and so on out there. And and yeah, you know, the one all the ones that I know of have really secure systems. So the keys, if you like, to get into our system is a 28 to 30 digit random code that nobody could ever remember. But if somebody was to try and hack into, say, see the system in my house, what are they gonna see? All they're going to see is motion data. It's a whole bunch of ones and zeros that means nothing to anybody. So there's there's no value in there. Uh, When people want to hack into systems, it's invariably either to cause massive mischief or for financial gain. But there's neither to be had by hacking into somebody's motion data. Um, And and that alone makes it seem pretty safe.
0: Yeah. Last question, Nigel. So how long does it take for a passive monitoring system to establish a person's normal? So, Literally starts to learn from the moment it's
1: installed. Um, if if I talk from our own perspective, Stack Care will start to send out notifications within 24 to 48 hours. Um, so it can actually be pretty quick, just in terms of recognizing the first go to bed and get up times. Um, it, it, depending on which time of the day it's installed, it's within the first one to two days it starts. And it just gets better from there on out. Um I would restress there is no normal per se, but just what is typical for one person versus another. Um, and I do say that because you know typically I get up at around seven thirty every day, but on Saturdays and Sundays that's not typical. So you know, that doesn't mean my weekends are abnormal, it just means they're out of the typical range from Monday through Friday. So it, it, you know, as you look at standard deviation and, and you start to compare amongst people, um, your typical would be different to my typical. Right right. On there. But it, you know, the short answer is it's very quick. You don't have to wait weeks. It's usually within
0: one to two days. Very good. Well, thank you so much, Nigel. How can people find you?
1: Sure. Um, Well, um, if you want to learn more about Stack Care, go to our website, which is uh, stack.care, C-A-R-E. Um, And if anybody wants any further information or or would be interested in talking about Stack Care, they can email us at info at stack, S-T-A-C-K, dot care, C-A-R-E. Thanks very much.
0: Yeah. So as far as knowledgeable aging, um, if you're interested in in these webinars, a lot of our Archive webinars are on our website. Also on our YouTube page, just type in knowledgeable aging. We encourage you to subscribe. We update the YouTube page five to six times a week. If podcasts are your things, find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, et cetera. Until next time, I'm your host, Jason Kotar, and this is Knowledgeable Aging.